This is the Humans of Gaming Podcast, an open and honest conversation about games, life, and belief. Welcome to Humans of Gaming. I'm your host, Chief Content Nerd of Love Thy Nerd, Drew Dixon. And uh, unfortunately, my co-host, Chris Gwaltney, cannot be with us today. So you're stuck with just me. Uh, but I have a very special guest, as we almost always do on this podcast. And that is Casper Shimchuk. Perfect. Excellent. I did it. Yeah. Yes. You nailed it. Cool. Yeah. Casper uh, was very nice and typed that into our chat here so that <laughs> he, to give me he gave me a you know, the phonetic uh, way for dumb Americans like me to, to pronounce it. So I appreciate that, Casper. <laughs> sure thing. Uh, well, I do prefer to go this way instead of having it butchered. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Which is your nice way of telling me I didn't say it quite right. But <laughs> whenever I see, so you're you're Polish, correct? Uh-huh. And so whenever I see Polish names, there's, I'm sure if you're, if you grow up Polish, Maybe you feel the same way about some American names, but I see them and I'm like, I have no idea how to say that uh, because there's like way more consonants than it seems like there should be. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that kind of is true. However, uh, in terms of pronunciation, Polish is simpler if you know it, because yeah. everything is read out exactly the way it's written. So there are no, like you could yeah. read it this way or that way and so on. English yeah. is really the rules of English grammar are broken so often that it's really hard to know how to pronounce things. I, I would, I would think if you're not a native English speaker. Yeah. Yeah. And I keep getting corrected on pronunciation of words. I thought I knew how they could or yeah. could be spelled, but yeah. Yeah. Are you familiar with phonics? Is Do, do you know what that a is? A little bit. So it's like learning to, to, to say things based on, their sounds, mm -hmm, yeah, uh, basically. So, like, my daughter is um, is learning to read. My oldest daughter has been learning to read for a while now, and we've been teaching mm -hmm. her phonics because it's that's that's the approach a lot of people take to teaching people how to read. Right. And when you teach someone phonics, especially when you're as as an English speaker, you immediately like recognize how messed up English grammar is sometimes, <laughs> and how things sound nothing like the way it actually should be pronounced sounds yep. nothing like what it looks like. Yeah, uh, I, I went through this when learning uh, English, actually. So, yeah, it, it's a mess. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> well, uh, you are on the podcast because you've worked on several games in the past and you have one coming out soon. So the one that's coming out very soon, in fact, by the time this podcast releases, I think um, it will have just come out, uh, and that is Phantom Doctrine. But you've also worked on Call of Juarez, right, and yep, Hard correct. West. Yep. Um, am I missing some? Uh, Ancient Space and Call of Wars the Cartel in between, but like these are the ones I'm slightly less proud about, so we, we can limit ourselves to these. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds good. So don't go digging up those others, but if you want to look at Call of Wars uh, or, or, uh, or these other ones, yeah. Well, so, um, unless you want yeah. to check out how much I've grown. <laughs> oh, yeah, there you go. Well, see, that's good. Um, there's some things that I've written in the past that I don't want anybody to know they exist. So, uh, so <laughs> there you go. But, uh, yeah. So tell me like, uh, tell me about Phantom Doctrine. I know that's, um, you know, your baby that you've been working on for a while now and it's about to come out. Um, yeah. Give us the quick pitch on what Phantom Doctrine is. 
Um, uh, sure. Just a second. I'm opening the Steam page. <laughs> oh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the, it's, the reason I'm checking... This is an ambitious the... game, so... Yes, I, I am very bad at like uh, giving a brief overview. Uh, so it's a turn-based tactical thriller set in the Cold War about spies and secrets and conspiracies and pretty much what we have in the news right now, just back in the day. Yeah, so... And I, I can understand why it would be difficult for you to explain what it is in any kind of short manner, because when I was at PAX East, you and I got to sit down and you kind of gave me uh, gave me a tour through the game or a, a short tour through the game, even in an hour. But even in an hour, there were like, by the time we got to the end, you were like, there's so much here that I didn't have time to show you. Yeah, that, um, that's true. We just brush the surface basically yeah yeah so maybe um can you talk about a couple of the mechanics that are pretty unique because i think like to give our listeners a frame of reference we might mention games like XCOM, right as sure. sort of like there's um there's definitely some in inspiration from uh real-time strategy games like XCOM here but you've really done some unique things with that uh that genre so maybe highlight a couple of the more unique aspects of of Phantom Doctrine that you're proud of. Okay, um, so I've, I'll start with the biggest one, I think. So as you progress through the campaign, you collect pieces of intel that you put on an investigation board, and you connect them with a string, just like in the movies, and you yeah. cross-reference the documents you find to get to the bottom of things. And it's... Like, this has been done before to some extent in some games as a means to convey the story. Like, you have these story characters laid out on the board, they're connected and so on. So in Phantom Doctrine, it's a huge system where it's all generated and all the content is in there. So, like, the pieces of paper you have on the board, you can zoom in and there's a snippet that tells a story and contains some lore or explains some background um so it's pretty um it's pretty big yeah <laughs> and so um like unlike like with XCOM after you finish a mission you're you're messing with your characters stats you're equipping them with different equipment and weapons and things and you do some of that in Phantom Doctrine uh but also in between missions you're actually playing detective right to try and figure out how all these different characters in the game connect to one another, which is pretty pretty fun, uh, pretty unique. Yep, that's correct. Uh, plus, we um, added a lot of mechanics to the tactical layer of the game. Like, yeah. for example, um, you can set up a couple of your agents to support you from around the mission area, like a sniper, a grenade launcher, or a spotter that will reveal the battlefield um so you can even go in with a single agent into the mission and use a couple of snipers to to cover him and that's a perfect perfectly viable uh tactic yeah yeah and there's even the possibility in in kind of classic uh or or maybe not classic but sort of the pop culture classic view of cold war espionage mm -hmm. you can actually turn people to your side in the middle of a mission, if you if you play 
if you play your cards right. Is that correct? Yeah, exactly. Um, the thing is, with every setting, uh, with every game, we're looking uh, for a setting that will give us some room and some leeway in terms of what can be put in the game and still have a concise setting. So in Hardware, that was the occult, dark magic, where you know pretty much anything could happen. And in Phantom Doctrine, which is theoretically, historically accurate, um, we still wanted to put in some fantasy and something very unexpected, so we used the fantasy of the MK Ultra program, which was which did happen and was confirmed, and they they did something about uh, related to brainwashing, but no one knows exactly what, and we used this uh, um, to convey game mechanics in the theme. So, for example, you can capture enemy agents and insert a controlled phrase in their head. And the next time you, and you you can release them, and the next time you meet them, you can say the control phrase, and they will switch sides. So, for example, when you have a huge, difficult mission of a when you're attacking a conspiracy cell, and there are six enemy agents guarding it, if you played it out well, you could have installed control phrase in every single one of those. So you just enter the level, say the control phrases, and you're basically done nice yeah that's really that's really interesting um and but i think you have to be careful though as well right because oh yeah <laughs> the enemy the enemy can do that to you exactly as uh, well. like yeah there... can you have people turned yeah oh yeah well for example when you leave someone behind on a mission that doesn't exactly mean they'll die often they'll get back to you on their own however yeah. when they're missing you you don't know if they were just trying back, get trying to get back to your hideout, or maybe they were they were captured and brainwashed, and now you have a mole in your hideout who who keeps releasing information pertaining to your operations to the conspiracy. It's also tricky when you hire new agents to know whether or not someone got to them before you did. Uh huh. Yeah, but you can use, uh, or for example, the agents you you fire can be recruited by the conspiracy, but you can use this to your advantage. So, for example, you can install a bomb in an agent oh, in his abdomen, okay? <laughs> and uh, the bomb goes off when they enter a conspiracy cell. Oh, wow. So you can take like a low-level agent that you don't really care about, fire them. There's a chance they'll be picked up by the conspiracy. Yeah. And they'll take them to, in to, to interrogate them, which is really problematic for you. However, if they have the bomb, it goes off and destroys the cell, along with all the goodies and the technology, but yeah. still, that's like a brute force solution. Right. This is making me terrified of the future of, uh, of <laughs> <laughs> like, like human... I'm uh... very glad to hear that. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. The, One of the first design documents I wrote for Franklin Doctrine with the overall assumptions was that we wanted to build... Uh, a feeling of paranoia, basically. Right. And a lot of systems work towards that goal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that's not something that, um, certainly not something that's been done in the real-time strategy space, right? Like, that's kind of a space where you think about tactics and strategy and, like, yes. um, you know, that thinking a few our... moves ahead, but not, not paranoia. That's a really cool element to bring into that space. <laughs> What kind well, of it kind of grew on us because like 
we start with we always start with a setting that works well with the tactical mechanics. So, for example, you don't want to you don't want to have a setting where you need a lot of characters and crowds. Mm-hmm. You don't want a setting that is like fully like natural, like forests and um like natural rock formations because you want your environments gridded so uh human constructions like buildings yeah <laughs> work well and spies usually work at night right so right. not many people around huh mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah so that's that's that that's the main reason we chose this setting same with harvest basically like wild west so not many people around you know pretty dry and you know poor <laughs> right uh, but still are there are some constructions the buildings are low so the vertical gameplay is there but it it is limited because um very the complex vertical gameplay doesn't work well in turn-based tacticals right. so yeah stuff like that yeah yeah so um and how long have you guys been working on this game two and a half years yeah and uh and it's about to come out how are you feeling uh stressed yeah very stressed uh, like, i'm like paralyzed literally i can't do anything <laughs> right so thank you thank you for taking this off my mind for a second until you asked the question actually but yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> so the thing is with every game i ever made i was uh surprised with the outcome both ways yeah so i'm um, like I, I used to try to predict how it's going to do what's the what are the reviews going to say uh like for example with hardwist I felt that again that's a game that is really um you know hardcore and standing on its own. Yeah. Which is like up the alley for like Destructoid. Uh-huh. And we got bashed by Destructoid oh, like gosh. so badly that and it was like one of the first reviews we got. So ever since I don't make like plans like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know that's good. What was what yeah. what did they uh what did you get bashed for by Destructoid? about that game i'm curious uh from what i recall that was a long time ago i'm like i'm trying i i, I was actually like brainwashed not to erase this memory but oh no and i'm bringing uh, it back up. i was like i'm not really into this genre basically uh uh-huh. that, that that kind of review oh right well, that's not a very fair review if it's just like a genre yeah, thing well that's destructoid oh, i yeah. like you know it's cool <laughs> you're over it now i shouldn't have brought it back up no no it's good like our meta score eventually was 73 so 10 points more than our previous game uh-huh. i'm not exactly uh hoping for 10 points more this time around but i would like a green metacritic and i'm good right so just two points more yeah 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 i think you can get there um it certainly looks like a fascinating game to me to say the very least um well to say the very least is like five times bigger, so right. <laughs> you know. Yeah, one thing that I I read, I think I even read an interview with you uh-huh. where you said this that you felt like um, maybe Hard West was a little bit too ambitious based on like the size of your team and that kind of thing. Um, well, we, we tend to do that with every game. It's like if Hardness was too ambitious, then fundamental doctrine is like off the chart. <laughs> right. Yeah. Which I think is funny to me a little bit because, um, you know, yeah, I, I noticed that as well. Like this is a, re- I mean, Phantom Doctrine is a super ambitious game, which I really appreciate because like the things that the games that I want 
to check out. And also the games that I want to talk to designers about are always the ones where people are trying to do something that really, that really hasn't been done, you know, or something that's going to say something um, poignant or interesting about, mm-hmm. yes. about human beings, about our place in the world. Right. And I think you seem to be doing both. Is that fair to say? Uh, no, I'm, I'm more of a systems designer. Okay by trade but you've created a system where people can have some really like like just like the whole example of putting a bomb inside of somebody (laughs) and then sending them back is a pretty like um yeah um pretty interesting thing to give players the ability to do Mm -hmm. yeah I, i i noticed that you can have very simple mechanics that if wrapped properly they can deliver a lot of feelings and one example from Harvest was we had a uh, so Harvest as well as Phantom Doctrine is like top down perspective, but we didn't ever zoom in. So the characters needed to be designed in a way that they have they had one big piece of clothing that you could tell them apart. Yeah. Okay, so we had this butcher character with a big white apron with stains of blood, and we got some feedback that the butcher character is like. It's pretty generic, right? Mm-hmm. So I changed the name of the character to Child Eater. Oh gosh! And that's that. There's no, there's no additional information. There's no gameplay related to that. There's no backstory. There's, there's nothing else there except for the name, and still, it, it carried so much weight for the players mm-hmm. uh, that, um, yeah, I think it was a good, the good, good chase. So, um, for example, in Phantom Doctrine, when you have you have character customization, right? So it's a feature that has been in a lot of games, right? Right. So, but the problem is, for me, or something that could be improved on, is that when you have character customization, you only visit it once. Because you, un- unless you keep unlocking stuff and you have a lot of content in your game, there's no reason to recustomize your characters, right? So we wrapped it, wrapped it in and connect it with identities. So you get a new passport when your old identity has been exposed to to your enemy. So this is for the sole purpose of giving you the incentive to recustomize your characters. Because you change the photo, so now you change the hair. So once you change the hair, so you change the the jacket and so on. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. I like that a lot. Um, So where did the, the... Inspiration from the game come from. I mean, we touched on that a little bit, but but what got you down on this oh. path of of making a game about the Cold War and in an RTS setting? So the thing is, we started in a completely different place. I'm not sure. I'll have to ask later on our PR guy if I can say if I can say this. So okay. it might be classified. Well, we can I'll, always I'll uh, it on record it and if we need to. Worst case scenario, we'll delete it. Sure. Yeah. So the thing is, we started off with a completely different setting. Or maybe not completely different. So we started with um, third-based X Files. Yeah. Um, so, and you can see the similar similarities here. So it's like in the night, pretty dark, a lot of secrets. There is a conspiracy in the government, so on, so on. However, uh, it occurred to us that there are two huge issues with this, and one is. Um, it is about aliens. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, or at least, like, the common understanding of X Files is. 
Yeah. Although X Files is it's like five percent about aliens. Right. It's like a lot of different cases. Mm-hmm. But the the consensus is it's you know aliens are out there and I want to believe and so on. That's actually like the systemic um, name of the game in Unreal Engine. I think people will get to this eventually if they look into the files okay. because we couldn't rename everything. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, so that's one problem. And the other problem was um, XCOM, uh, X-Files. Yeah, you see? You see? That's the problem. So X-Files <laughs> right. takes place in the States. Uh-huh. So the setting is pretty narrow in terms of what players would expect and believe and from... Uh, from what they see in the game. It seems very concise and limited compared to, for example, XCOM. So we decided to expand this and we looked for, okay, so we have agents working in the night. What could we do with that? Okay, spies maybe. Spies in which era? Because it could be James Bond, like very, like, you know, fantastic spies with a lot of fancy, fancy gadgets or modern spies. Um, or really back in the day, spice, and we decided to go for eighty-three, to be to be exact, mm-hmm. because of how the technology was limited back in the day. So you didn't have cell phones, you didn't have uh, internet, you didn't have like even phone access was problematic. And this gives you like this makes it very easy to build obstacles in the story and solutions for that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so it was a fascination with that era and um, kind of that yep, being so, a yep. good platform for this concept of paranoia that you wanted to, to introduce to players. Yep. But, but the thing is, um, given the fact that the history is pretty well known because it's written history, we couldn't do, we didn't have enough leeway in terms of what we could do in the story. So we added a conspiracy on top of it. Like, because the stakes didn't feel high enough. Like, we know it's going to happen. The Cold War is going to, going to end. And why is this relevant? So there's a conspiracy that's building the Cold War, like pushing it forward. And maybe even towards World War Three. Mm. And so that player knows the World War Three didn't happen. So how did that happen that it didn't happen? And what happened with the conspiracy? Gotcha. So, because the story is like, it is, uh, it is fiction. However, it is not contradictory with the known history. Yeah. Okay. So we use the the actual historical events and we give them a different spin and a different meaning and context and a different reason. Right. There's a lot of uh, research you guys did even into like the Cold War and things that so so. A lot of the direction you take with the story, if I remember correctly, mm-hmm. um, is a lot of it's like BS, right? But but it's like rooted enough in some real mm-hmm. Cold War possibilities, like some things that were were researched and toyed around with yes. during that era. Um, yeah. Tell me about how you guys, you know, what was your process of like studying about the Cold War and, and maybe share something <laughs> interesting that you found out? Okay. So, um, so our processes tend to be very systemic and thorough. Yeah. So instead of like getting like, Hey guys, give me ideas of things, you know, that happened back in the day. 
no, no. Instead, like one of the guys plowed through Wikipedia, and like there's a in in Wikipedia there are pages for every single year in history, and there are like tons of events for every year, right? Like a couple of events for every day. So someone plowed through um, dates since um, 1980 to 1985. Oh, and wow. made notes of every single event that could possibly be used and turned with a different spin <laughs> in our story. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think it took like a month or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. That's actually yeah. something I would really enjoy doing. I'm one of those types of people that if I get mm -hmm. curious about something, I'll end up spending two hours on Wikipedia, like researching it. Uh -huh. So Yeah, I'm pretty sure he enjoyed it. To a point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could see that getting overwhelming once you're on like day 25 yeah. or something. Yes, 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 I think so. Yeah, yeah. So uh, let's talk a little bit about you and your background. Um, we've talked a lot about about uh, Phantom Doctrine. So you're from Poland. I assume you grew up there? Mm -hmm. uh, yep, that is correct. And where did you grow up in Poland? Oh, um, a lot of places. Okay. Um, my dad used to be in the military. And we tended to move around a lot uh, until I was in primary school. So, uh, one th like I didn't have a problem with moving from one city to another. I think because I'm don't feel really like attached to a single place that I could call home. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. I like I like the concept. Uh -huh. I just. Like home is where my family is, yeah, and my stuff and my things. Sure, <laughs> you know, yeah, that's it. Yeah. So, uh, your dad was in the military. What did your mom do? Um, she used to work in the military as well a bit, like in the finances or something. Okay. But mostly stayed uh, at home with us, with me and my brother. What was your What was your upbringing like? Did you guys were you guys uh, religious at all? Yeah, kind of. Okay. <laughs> like I would say, um, like my bet would be, I don't know the statistics and so on, obviously, but you said your dad but, would be. Uh no, no, like the the whole family um is, well, most poles are brought up uh in like Catholic faith. Okay, right. But mm, with a lot of wiggle room. Okay. <laughs> so like they pick what they like. Sure. So there are like obviously some traditions that everyone keeps up, but uh -huh. like the interpretation varies. Sure. So can you give me so, an example? We do Christmas, but charity, uh, you know. <laughs> up to interpretation. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. So did you grow up like going to, to mass and things like that? Yeah. 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 Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Did that. Is your Are your mom and dad, dad still around? Uh, yep. And they still practice, uh, they still go to mass? I think so, yeah. I think, um, yeah, yeah, it, pretty much the same way. Okay. I, I think they, they've, um, it, it grew on them as they grew older. Right, yeah. So they kind of became uh, more religious as they got older? Is that what you yeah, think? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think so. Well, that's not a topic we cover frequently, uh -huh. but that would be my bet. <laughs> gotcha, yeah. So it wasn't something that... You had many discussions around the family dinner table about. Oh, no, 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 no. I gotcha. No. Like, it's more like, oh, you should do this. I'm like, why? 
uh, is a tradition. Uh, okay, fair enough. <laughs> yeah. But why? <laughs> yeah, that kind of yeah. Were Were you that kind of kid that had a hard time, like just going to and doing that just for tradition's sake? Um. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. Um. So the thing is, um, um, I wasn't a type that would um, I don't know the word. Like go against my parents and their wishes and so on, and so on. Right. Until you're I went a, you're an games. obedient. It was like perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Child. Exactly. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Exactly. So until I went to do games, which is like exactly a, a thing they didn't want me to do. Oh, interesting. Um, um, the thing is, it was a big investment for them, so they kind of like helping you get through school was a big investment. Things like that. Or? Um, like sending me to the university. And you were they were sending you to the university to make video games, which seemed like a bad no, no, idea no, 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 to study IT and oh, okay. to be like a serious programmer of serious stuff. Uh, and it was like, um, to be exact, they wanted you to make like medical software or something. Probably, yeah, uh, yeah. That I don't think they're sensible, knew, but like, yeah, yeah, sensible. Yeah, thank you. That's exactly what, what I was looking for. <laughs> gotcha. It was like 13 years ago, so no one knew. Like in Poland, games were like teeny tiny. But I can, there are some titles, but yeah, definitely not in the mass media, and no one considered it outside of game dev to be as something serious. Right. So it took me a couple of years of convincing, especially mm-hmm. that I started working in the game dev on my first year of university. So. It did kind of collide. <laughs> yeah. Were you um, growing up? Were you like, were you a gamer? Were you into video games and stuff? Oh, yes. A lot. Okay. So the thing is, I can't really remember when did I decide, but um, the the record I get from my family and friends is that ever since they remember. Yeah. So must be pretty, uh, pretty like, far into the day. Yeah. So, um, so, like, what's the first video game you remember getting really into? So, I was really into video games before I had access to video games because there were some TV shows and some newspapers and magazines and so on. Uh, the f- um, it's hard to tell. Um, the first I managed to take for a spin on a friend's computer was Doom, I think. Okay. I think that was Doom. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because, like, the pink monster. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, your parents probably right. wouldn't have approved of that one. Oh no, no, no! Obviously, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I remember I when when I was it like was so terrifying. Come uh, on! <laughs> I remember when I, I was in mm-hmm. elementary school. Um, mm-hmm. I had uh, a friend whose family was pretty like pretty religious and pretty conservative, and right. we um, his dad took us to his office one time. Um, and let us play Doom on uh, their like network at his office. So cool! Oh, it was so cool! And he like made us swear that we wouldn't tell his mom. <laughs> so, oh, good! Yeah. So good! It's one of my early like great uh, like you know it was before you could really play on the internet. So to play on a network at someone's office was was so cool back then. So you were into into computer games, and I'm guessing your parents were kind of like. Was they were a little concerned about that or, or not? Yeah, yeah, obviously. Yeah. yeah. Like learn serious stuff instead of mm-hmm. playing games all day, which kind of makes sense when you think about it. Yeah. <laughs> like that's something I would do. I have a son sure. of my own. So you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure how, how to tackle this battle because I, <laughs> yeah. I myself play a lot of games right. a lot of the time. Uh, I play a lot of games with him as well. 
also although yeah. i'm like really picky sure however um how old is your I'm son sure, uh, five or okay. almost six yeah five and a half yeah going so you to school, be like in september so you know um so i'm not sure how how it's going to work out when he has to like learn for school and i'm playing and that's my <laughs> yeah. work yeah and how am i to convince him that you know if you want to do this yeah. start with the, start with the math right yeah my best idea is to like contextualize it and like describe how is this like, how exactly is this useful because a lot of it is especially if you're a game designer there's yeah. there's really no topic that you can just skip because later it will it basically bite you yeah <laughs> if you if you lack the knowledge about pretty much anything. Right. Yeah. So you're playing for research and <laughs> development purposes. Yes, that uh, is exactly what I say to my wife. Yes. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I tell my wife that same thing about me. Yeah. You know, I'm, this is research for yes. my podcast and my website and, and uh, you know, all these, these projects. So she's come around You're a little bit, but you know, my parents <laughs> were the same way. Like when I was a kid, you know, they didn't, they were concerned about how much time I played video games and, Yes. Like at the time, it's annoying. Um, yep. But you know, you get older and you look back and you're like, you know, they just they just wanted me to be like a well-rounded human being, and they were just wanting to make sure I could provide for myself and mm -hmm. get a job and all those kinds of things that yep. like we don't think about when we're kids, but our parents like have tons of anxiety yes. about. Yes, yes, yeah. it makes sense. Yeah. Um. Well, I was really convinced that's what I'm that's what I want to do. I just had no absolutely no clue how to get there. Yeah. Uh, except like playing games because like you couldn't just google it back in the day. Like you there's there was no google. Right. <laughs> so how yeah. could you possibly do that? And 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 I know so, like, like like Polish game development is has like exploded recently in the last several years. Oh yeah. But I'm guessing back then there probably weren't a whole lot of of studios in Poland to, to point to. Yep. There were like two that I knew heard of or okay. three. Yeah. So um so the story is um my brother who's like uh currently something like a tech IT entrepreneur, uh -huh. startup stuff and things. <laughs> I, I I don't really know what he's doing. But anyway <laughs> uh he told me that he suggested that maybe Maybe, just maybe, instead of playing every single game you come across, you try to dig in dig into one of the games and try to like edit it, mod it, add some to, something to it, see how it's done, like be really good at this. Yeah. So I delved into Unreal Tournament, the ninety nine one. Okay. Started doing some levels for I the I played game. a lot of that game. Oh yeah. Good. Great. Good. You're a good person. Like, that's <laughs> like a true gamer. Like <laughs> Unreal Tournament is way better than Quake, right? Yeah. Like, you know, the, the, yeah, my one like yeah. my one story of like gaming glory <laughs> is that I got that on the original Xbox. Um, oh, nice. And it was like the first Xbox Live game or one of the first Xbox Live games. Uh -huh. okay. And so like one Christmas break when I had a, like a couple weeks off school, I just played it like religiously. <laughs> and I made it into like the top 200 players or something like that. Oh, nice. Um, that's like the one, like, uh, you know, I've never, I've never gotten that high on any other like big game like that, but 
anyway. <laughs> it's uh, a great game. That that's impressive. Like, well, I never got good in Unreal Tournament, or like I'm better than average, but uh, um, I tried some Clan Wars and uh. Uh-uh. So anyway, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Owing to the fact that I did do some levels, like by sheer coincidence, I came across uh, a job offer from Techland in 2006. Yeah. For multiplayer level designer. Okay. That they desperately needed because they were wrapping up Call of Wars and the previous one just left. So, yeah. like the perfect, you know, like I was in the perfect moment at the perfect time with the perfect preparation, with like everything was perfect. And they allowed me to work uh, part time on like being the only person doing something on their big, big game. Yeah. So, you know, really, really lucky. So what did you have to show for yourself at that point? Was it like some some mods you made for Unreal Tournament that you showed them? or um, Actually, they asked me to do a test and design a couple of levels. Okay. So the thing is, I invested like a, a lot of hours and a lot of work into this one. It's like, I, um, I would say that's the best prepared... Um, job application test submission I have ever seen yeah. or received or done my, myself. Uh-huh. <laughs> sure, yeah. Because <laughs> I put a lot of effort. I like learned, like trained and learned to draw buildings so I could draw how the buildings would look like in the level, although it was not part of the, of yeah. the task. It was just like do a 2D layout and that's it. So I was looking for ways to expand on that. So like the whole project was like 30 or something pages. Most of it like bonuses. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I so you were like, the reason they, they took me in. Yeah. You were like, I'm going to show mom and dad that I can make a career out of this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, that is exactly the, the point. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. And you did. Oh, yeah, I think so. Well, they st- they they stopped complaining after a couple of years of me in game development. Yeah. So success. What what got them to stop complaining? Like when you finally put a game out, or or was it no, just no, that no, you one of the salary raises? Yeah. Okay. After yeah. a certain level, or like, oh, okay, okay, that that makes sense. Okay. He's not gonna be coming home begging for money. He's gonna be yep. okay. He'll he'll make it. And they stop yes, worrying yes. so much. Yes. 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 Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. Again, it's one of those worries that uh, doesn't make sense to us at the time, but now yeah. that I'm a dad, like I get it, you know. Oh yes, oh yeah, yeah. It's like if I imagine like my son was to I don't know be a snap Snapchatter, yes. for example, for uh-huh. a living. I was like, what? What are you talking <laughs> yeah. about? There's no way you could make a living out of this. Yeah. Like I don't get Snapchat, so that's like that's like a point of reference for me. Where oh, right. I, I'm old now. I'm like, pff, I, yeah. like a dinosaur. That's a great example because it's fun. We think that I think it's hard for us to see those generational divides, but nowadays, yeah, the same way. Like if my kids were, mm-hmm. like my daughter's kind of, there's these kids that make money doing you know YouTube videos on toys and stuff, like just playing with toys. And, uh, uh what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, like they just play with toys, and it's a whole, it's a whole thing. Like, um, and so my daughter, if I thought I'd let her, we don't let her watch them very often, but every once in a while, I'll let her watch right. one of those videos. And she so badly wants to be one of those YouTubers, 
then I'm like, there's no, that's not a good use of your time. <laughs> you know, why would you do that? But then, you know, of course, somebody will prove me wrong and prove that that's like a totally viable thing to do. Wow. Wow. That was like, wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm at a loss of words, seriously. It's a, it's a big, uh, it's a brave new world, put it that way. So you grew up going to church, kind of out of tradition. Did Was there ever a point where you were like, yeah, I think I believe this? Or did you always kind of look at it skeptically? Uh, more like skeptically. Like, okay. um, So the thing is, it, so there are some controversies, as you're probably even better aware than me. Uh-huh. Uh, like, you know, so there are some things that I don't find exactly reasonable. Right. Like, for example, um, the the Pope. Okay, who sure. Who is like the, um, like this, uh, uh, what's the word? So like the next leader of the apostles. Mm-hmm. Do you know what yes. I mean? Yes, uh, apostolic succession would be the... Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And some of the popes were like super awful <laughs> right? <laughs> in the middle ages. So it kind of, uh, you know, puts a scar on the whole concept of Pope. Yeah. Yeah. It's kinda. great when the Pope's like a decent guy, like this most recent yeah. Pope yeah, seems exactly. like a good guy mostly. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, but that's not always been the case. And then you're saying like this guy is chosen by God and that doesn't sit well with you. Yeah. 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 Exactly. So my, yeah, view on this is I understand the need for Christianity. It yeah. totally makes sense. I understand the value it builds. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are some shadows uh, that could be resolved pre- slightly more dynamically if the Vatican were slightly more efficient. Right. Because it seemed like not to being able to keep up with the times because mm-hmm. times are changing changing really fast and we have like Snapchat now. <laughs> yeah, and YouTube yeah. and toy videos. Yeah, like the amount of information that is being processed by everyone on a daily basis is improved really fast mm-hmm. and your organization has to improve very fast. So like, for example, when you have um, uh, city offices and you can like apply for a new ID over the internet. And it, well, they're they're getting there. They're getting there slow, but they're getting there. It seems like the church is like uh, lagging behind. Okay. Yeah. So, right. um, but apart from that, because I'm I'm sensing that we're getting to the question where you openly ask me if I do believe in God, and the answer to that question would be, I have no clue. I have absolutely absolutely no clue. I wish there was a God. Maybe there's one. I have no clue. And I don't see a way to find out. So um, assuming I don't know until it's like in my face. (laughs) Right. Sure. Yeah, I understand that. So you kind of just are at a place where you don't know. Not necessarily agnostic, but just unsure. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't really understand the term agnostic, to be honest. Like, I know the definition, I just don't get it. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I and same with me, because we talked to to some of them on this show, and not everybody has the same definition, and so I don't, and I never want to put words in people's mouths, so I don't, to be honest with you, I don't always fully understand it either, but but I, right. I certainly um, can sympathize with that position of, like, 
just saying, I don't know. I don't get it. Um, are there any beliefs about the world or about people or, or, or anything like that that kind of ground you or, or that uh, motivate the work that you oh, do? Oh, yeah, most certainly. Um, so one of the reasons I believe what I do is important is, oh, it's, it's exactly the Snapchat case. So consider this. Um, maybe, probably, video games are the number one medium to reach out to young audiences mm -hmm. to, I don't know, change them in their life, like set them on a path, like teach them something. Like back in the day, that probably would be books or maybe even movies. But right. nowadays, definitely not books, sadly. Sure. Yeah. Probably. But instead, video games. And video games are a medium, like it's the sum of all media. So it can deliver any message you want and they can teach anything you want. And that's, I would say, that's not only like the power of the medium, it's like the responsibility of the medium. Mm -hmm. So eventually, that's what that that's like my ideal goal somewhere in the future once um once i could deviate from making games about shooting people in the face <laughs> yeah <laughs> um so right now i'm all about telling interesting stories and learning how how to operate with this medium which is you know pretty complex um, right but that's 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 my goal basically so you feel a pressure based on the games that you put out for those to make like a positive impact on the world. Yeah, no, not yet. Like not I, yet. I assume that's I, a goal. Yeah. yeah, that's a goal. Like uh for example, um with um with Call of Wars one, the first game I worked on, I learned how to do levels. With the second one I learned a bit how to do some systems. With Ancient Space I learned how to do a game on my own. Well ob obviously not like on my own entirely but uh -huh. not having like not having anyone to look up to because our like structure is like there's an art department programming department and a design department so there's like no one exactly above me in yeah. terms of design so it's like i'm everything is my fault <laughs> basically right. yeah so i learned to make a game where i'm where everything is my fault basically part of it was <laughs> yeah. like an attempt at making a pretty good game that is way more concise and finished and wrapped up and so on. Phantom Doctrine is a game that is huge. I learned how to make a huge game with a lot of systems. Everything is interconnected. I know how to make a huge game now. So yeah. the next one will be something way more accessible and adaptable. And yeah. so on. And eventually I'll make a good story, I hope. That makes people think, oh, this changed me so much. Yeah. This was so valuable. Like this was one of the most important pieces of art in my life. Mm -hmm. Kind of thing. Hopefully yeah. someday. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> I appreciate your honesty on that because I think, you know, some people would just say, Oh yeah, you know, this game I'm gonna make is gonna change the world. Uh <laughs> oh, or or something, but you, you you clearly have this trajectory that you're working towards, and you're focused on it. And I think I try to manage my expectations. Yeah, it comes with failures, you know. 
it's super important, especially in this industry, to manage your expectations oh, yeah. because um, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a stressful industry, as we've kind of discussed already. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is, definitely. Yeah, and so you kind of have to to give yourself some 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 goals that are more manageable and offer yourself some grace, I think, to, to navigate it well. Yeah, well, to be honest, that was like a pretty simple question. I got a, uh, recently I got asked a very difficult question and that was, what's your hobby? Yeah. I was like, oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. Making games? Like, that's not a hobby? Making games, you know, because pretty much everything I do is somehow related to making games. When I right. pick a book to read, I very rarely read fantasy. Uh -huh. Because unless it's like the best of the best. So, you know, I'm, pre I'm perfectly sure this, that I'm going to learn from this something. Yeah. yeah. So the movies I pick, the places I go, so it's everything is tied to the games. So I don't think I have a hobby anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah, that's kind of like I feel you on that one for sure. Mm -hmm. If you did have a hobby, so. if you did have a hobby, what would it be? Uh, like if you had time, if time wasn't an issue, you could just dive into something. If I had like an if I had uh, a time that I could um, use for hobby only and it could not be related to games, I would play harp. Like oh, yeah. the, a harp, you know, like... Yeah, uh, the instrument. Uh, the... Not the small, like the, the standing one. Yeah. Because I, I started to do so, but it takes so much time to learn this. But then again, it's like, it, if you were, Drew, it, seriously... If you were to pick an instrument to play on, pick harp, because whatever you do to a harp, it sounds good. You can screw it up easily. If yeah. you take a, a a piano, if you press the wrong buttons at the same time, it sounds bad. Harp always sounds great. Like, oh, nice! You just touch it, you just swipe it. It sounds great. Mm -hmm. I'll ask my wife Perfect if we can get one. <laughs> I feel like that's an instrument you have to like run by your spouse or your your partner if you have one prior well, to it's buying. It's not that it. loud. It's it's just pretty big. It's just big. Yeah, it's gonna take up a good chunk of space in your house. But uh, we had a piano. We just got rid of it because of that issue. We we're like, we don't have room for this thing. Okay, so. so it's way smaller than a piano. Like, like obviously a concert harp is huge, but that's I what I have in my mind one. when I oh, think no, of a no, harp. There, there are way smaller ones. Okay. Good. Well, that's good to know. Well, uh, so Phantom Doctrine comes out. What What is the exact date? I forgot. Uh, Tuesday. Tuesday. All right. Tuesday. So, so Tuesday, 14th. and that is August 14th. August 14th. Okay, cool. And uh, I'm super excited to check it out. Um, Thank you. Glad to hear it. And any any other places online you'd, you'd push people to to check out your work? Uh, don't go to my LinkedIn. Don't use okay. LinkedIn. Like, <laughs> Stay out of LinkedIn. <laughs> you should know that by now, right? Yeah. You know, it's like the creepiest place. Oh, yeah. Yeah, which makes me think I need to go check my LinkedIn and see what it says. Uh, I actually, uh, before the podcast... Your profile. Yeah. yeah, before the podcast, I did look at your LinkedIn. <laughs> so it looked fine to me. That wasn't that... It, I didn't think... You don't have anything on here that's to be embarrassed of, so... 
Well, uh, Casper, it's great talking to you. I can't wait to play the game, and I'm excited for you for the release, and uh, hope I'll hope for for great things for the game, and and also for your you know your your next projects. Thank you very much for the wishes, and thank you for having me. I actually really enjoyed this. Good, good. Well, glad to hear it. Well, uh, that's it for us here on Humans of Gaming. Uh, if you have not done so, we would really appreciate it if you would go rate and review our podcast on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you you listen to podcasts. Um, also, go check out the other uh, podcast in the Love Thy Nerd podcast network. It's called Free Play, and uh, it's a great podcast Um they, uh, it, it's, it's just super fun to listen to and they're always, uh, bringing up a new interesting topic in the world of gaming and nerd culture. That's, uh, that's definitely worth checking out. That's led by, uh, Bubba Stallcup, Kate Katawaki and Matt Warmbier. So definitely go check that out. Um, if you have questions or feedback, you can send them to me, Drew at lovethynerd.com. Uh, be sure to go check out our website, lovethynerd.com. We launched it just a few weeks ago and, um, yeah, there's some really great content on there already. So you can see all our podcasts there, of course. We have lots of great tabletop uh, board game and video game reviews and features. Um, we recently published some great parenting articles, too, uh, that, you know, if you have kids who play video games, you might find those helpful. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's it for us today on Humans of Gaming, and we'll, uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks again, Casper. Thank you. Thank you very much. You have been listening to Humans of Gaming, a production of Love Thy Nerd. If you have enjoyed the show, don't forget to like, rate, and review the show wherever you may be listening. Don't forget to check out our other show, Free Play, featuring discussions of complete randomness involving gaming, community, and whatever hosts Bubba Stalkup, Matt Warmbier, and Kate Katawaki deem worthy of your earbuds. Theme music by Jay Tholen and used by permission. Singular Radio by Joaquin Sandoval, used under Creative Commons 4.0.